Hey, good morning, Life Church. Thank you so much for joining in with us. We're grateful once again to have the opportunity to gather in this way. You know, as we work to engage and lean into this conversation of reset, a, a divine approach to our earthy affairs, um, and, and hopefully, more importantly, the acutely personal reset God has reserved for each and every one of us, the role of our unique guide, God's Holy Spirit, is critical. And so we're continuing a conversation within a conversation today. If you're taking notes, the title of our conversation is We Have a Guide, Part 2. So let's get into our hallmark passage of Scripture, Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Just as I could speak to that, we all have different sufferings. And again, we're doing this within different shadowy experiences of pandemics and our current culture. But I don't know what your suffering is or what it looks like or maybe what a certain relationship adds in terms of pain to your life. But we can understand that these sufferings are to lead us to revelations and ultimately what God wants to do in resetting us, redeeming us. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Skip down to verse 26 with me. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Verse 28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. Verse 31, What then shall we say to all of these things. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we just invite you. Once again, we make ourselves available to you. Even as we're talking about your Holy Spirit, uh, our helper, our comforter, God, we just ask for you to stretch our internal capacity to hear your voice and see your face in real experiential ways. We love you. We honor you. And in these moments, God, we ask that you just mold us and shape us, make us more into your image. Even in the crazy times that we're living in, we know that you're good and we know that you're faithful. So we give this to you. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, as we're talking about God's Holy Spirit, I want to announce that any misgivings you personally may have when I say Holy Spirit or we're preaching about or teaching about or talking about God's Holy Spirit, any misgivings that you have about Holy Spirit are okay. They're probably even maybe healthy in light of all that has been done in His name. Holy Spirit is the most intimate portion of the Trinity. A Trinity, of course, being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
And quite honestly, it's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that lacks a natural parallel. We can relate to the Father, God the Father. Maybe we have a good relationship with our earthly father or an unhealthy relationship, or maybe we don't know our earthly father. But the fact of the matter is that we have a parallel to set a frame of reference for God the Father. When you talk about the Son and the person of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and, and the Savior, the, the, the lover of our souls, the friend who sticks closer than a brother, we have lots of parallels to draw from when you talk about the Son. All of a sudden, God's Holy Spirit rolls in and we lack a natural parallel. And so that can cause some uneasiness and maybe we don't even realize it, but I want to speak to that a little bit. And, and so what people have done and what they've said in the name of Holy Spirit to some of us, maybe to just around some of us, and they attribute it to, well, God's Spirit told me to. I want to be honest with you today and recognize and empathize with maybe people have done some things that were less than wonderful in the name of the Spirit told me to. And I want to be honest again and recognizing that the negative lasts longer than the positive. The things that are done to us in unhealthy ways, usually we are mindful of those things more than we are of those that are done in healthy ways. And so such is our reality as we engage God's Holy Spirit. I'm not trying to be a downer. I'm not trying to be weird or anything. I'm just trying to be proactive and forthright as we're having a conversation, hopefully a productive conversation about God's Holy Spirit. I promise I'm not going to ask anyone to invest in something or someone that is outlandish, that's difficult to understand, or even remotely dangerous. And more importantly, more honestly than me, Jesus will never ask any of us to do something that is dangerous or perhaps harmful to our lives. And it's Jesus who speaks to his disciples, as I mentioned last week in Acts chapter 1. Hey, guys, don't go anywhere. Don't do anything until you receive Holy Spirit. So with all of that in mind, it's vital to look to the scriptures regarding Holy Spirit's likeness, where we see him exactly as he is, not who we make him out to be. The fact of the matter is that lots of Jesus followers, denominational, non-denominational, interdenominational, many Jesus followers leave Holy Spirit out of their day-to-day -day interactions because so much has been done in a negative fashion with regards to God's Holy Spirit. And so this morning, I want to take some time and frame out what our guide of Holy Spirit actually looks like. Again, referencing the scriptures. And I've got notes here. I've got notes there. So you're going to see me looking a little bit around off camera. But if we're going to focus in, I'd like to focus in on these verses once again, chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, because this is what we're pulling from. We're talking about reset. Paul wants us to lean into the reset that God has for us and understand as we're going to places, as I mentioned last week, that we've never been before, God offers our Holy Spirit as a guide. And even more complicating than a city we've never been in is the person of Christoph, who he's never been, but God wants to introduce me to myself. And it's his Holy Spirit who does that. Verse 26 
Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Why? Why do we need this guide? Why look to and invest God's Holy Spirit? Very simply put, when we're weak, when we're confused. I mean, listen to what Paul says. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for. When we're in those places, we're confused or frustrated and just not knowing where to go. Why do we need God's Holy Spirit when we are weak and when we're confused? Here's the thing. If you're never weak, if you're never confused, you're on stable ground and not needing God's Holy Spirit. But if you're anything like me, such provision for the very normal particulars of everyday life is miraculous. And not only is it miraculous, it's just, it gives you good ground to have traction on. And again, I'm not speaking to you as some religious leader who's speaking to, who, to people. I'm speaking to you someone who has friends. <laughs> working out intimate relationships and friendships. I need God's Holy Spirit to speak to me, to talk about things that I need to talk about with Jasper or Justin, or how do I need to open my heart up to Jordan or, or Brady and let them in or, or speak to something that's going on in their lives. I need God's Holy Spirit to help me in my friendships. I'm not just speaking about these theological concepts, but how do I, Christoph, continue to relate to other people. Also, as we parent, my wife and I talk about parenting being the great experiment, and we look really confident most of the time. Maybe Asa and Jude and Zoe would have a different opinion and say, oh no, mom, dad, you guys look clueless and scared all of the time. <laughs> but as we are leaning into parenting, this great experiment, normally we, we seem 100% confident. And then we get into our bedroom and we're having conversations about the day and, and how we made this decision and, and how we made that call. And we just look at each other. And although we seemed confident perhaps outside, we just hope that we made the right call as parents and trying to lead and guide and encourage Asa and do the same with Jude and Zoe. But it's God's Holy Spirit as we sit and we talk. When Tanya prays for wisdom, when I ask God for help in parenting, it's God's Holy Spirit who speaks to us and leads us and engages. More than that as well, I don't know how people do married life without God's Holy Spirit. My relationship with Tanya, and I think Tanya's relationship with me, is made better by the fact that God's Holy Spirit, as I make myself available to Him and as she makes herself available to Him, God's Holy Spirit corrects me and adjusts me and makes me a better husband, makes me one who's willing to apologize, not just because Tanya says something, but because God's Holy Spirit is saying, hey, Christoph, you were a jerk and you need to go make that right. Again, I don't want God's Holy Spirit to be truncated and boxed into just this little church world. God's Holy Spirit leads us and guides us in the truth for every area of our lives. The Spirit, as Jesus speaks about it, is at the center of our constant reset and redemption. Not just a singular decision, but our constant reset and redemption. 
One of the familiar or longer passages, but really familiar passage of scripture is Jesus speaking about Holy Spirit. It's launched by John 13, which is interesting because it's in John 13 that Jesus is having one of his last conversations with the disciples. And the launching point is a foot washing, how he is serving them. John 14, 15, and 16 is a grand exposition of Jesus telling his disciples how to navigate navigate tribulation, how to go through relationships, and he keeps guiding them back to the abiding presence of God. He keeps pointing them back to God's Holy Spirit. And he finally concludes that in John 17 with the high priestly prayer as he himself moves into the greatest sacrifice. It's just interesting for me that God's Holy Spirit is central to all of that. And one other thing, if you're listening to this and and you're watching me today and you're saying, I don't know who this Jesus is. I, I don't really have a vibrant relationship or any relationship with God. I want you to know that God knows those who don't know him. God knows those who don't know him. And his Holy Spirit speaks to those who don't know him couple wonderful moments. There are many of them throughout the scriptures, but in 1 Samuel chapter 3, one of the greatest prophets, Samuel, as a young man serving in the temple of the Lord, hears his name called Samuel, not once, Samuel, not twice, Samuel, but three times, calling his name, calling out to him. And it's Samuel's mentor that says, hey, I didn't call you. Stop running to me. It's the Lord calling you. Next time he calls, Say, speak, your servant listens. And Samuel does exactly as the mentor said. And and lo and behold, it is God. It's his Holy Spirit speaking to him right there and right then. But Samuel didn't have any working relationship. Samuel didn't know. He was just available. How encouraging is that today that you don't have to know everything except just this, that God knows you. There's another familiar story, Genesis chapter 28. I want to go there because I love the way that it's recorded in Scripture. Jacob is an interesting person in the Scriptures. He, he really encourages me because he's a bit of a tool bag, just like me. And he always tries to do the right thing, but he rarely goes the right way. Are you with me? But he has this moment, and he has a dream, and he wakes up from the dream And it says this in Genesis 28, verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. If you're here today and you're listening to this, and we're going to talk about what God's Holy Spirit looks like, you may find, man, I think I've been hearing something. I think I've been sensing something. But up until this point, I haven't really considered it being God's Holy Spirit, so it couldn't have been. You don't have to know God intimately for Him to intimately know you. And I do. I encourage you and challenge you to maybe even reference the former days of your life, even in this crazy circumstance that we're in, because God's Holy Spirit knows you and He has, I promise, not just because I know Him, but because I know that God is for you and He loves you, that He has been speaking to you. He has been trying to lead you. He has been trying to guide you because that's all He does. 
So with all of that in mind, I just want to frame up a couple things, or a few things rather, about what Holy Spirit looks like. Because too often, we start to build out what Holy Spirit looks like based on how other people talk about Him, how they treat Him, and how their lives manifest Him. But we would be well served to look into the Scriptures and see what He looks like there. Amen? So, let me just tell you this. God's Holy Spirit is not a dove. The New Testament oftentimes records, like a dove, God's Holy Spirit fell. Like a dove, God's Holy Spirit did this. That's nothing more than an illustration. Uh, But the fact of the matter is that God's Holy Spirit has some very interesting and nuanced characteristics. First of all, God's Holy Spirit comforts. God's Holy Spirit comforts. John chapter 14 and verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The comforter, the helper. God's Holy Spirit is your comforter. Also, God's Holy Spirit teaches. John chapter 14 and verse 26. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. I'm just trying to frame out for us, wait, is this God? Is this his Holy Spirit or is this me? God's Holy Spirit is the comforter. God's Holy Spirit will teach you, instruct you in things that maybe you didn't even know. God's Holy Spirit guides. John chapter 16 and verse 13. Let me find it here. When the Spirit of truth comes, speaking of God's Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth. God's Holy Spirit empowers, Acts chapter 8, verses 14 and 25. God's Holy Spirit gives us the ability to hope. We spoke about that last week, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, Romans 15 and verse 13. God is the God of hope, and He gives us the ability to be in joy. Finally, God's Holy Spirit gives us the ability to be obedient because He teaches because he guides, because he leads, because he gives us the opportunity to move in obedience. The fact of the matter is that oftentimes God's Holy Spirit gets reduced to just giving us what we want, as if he's this ultimate Santa Claus in the sky that's just delivering us these gifts or these these blessings. We often take that from John chapter 10, that familiar passage of scripture where The normal walk away from, or rather the walk away with, is that God is the giver of life, that he gives us Zoe life. But really the point of John 10 is Jesus is teaching that it's about his voice, and God's Holy Spirit is that voice. You know, I've talked many times about Asa loves to play basketball, and Jude loves to play baseball, and they're both very good at both of them. And I played a little bit of basketball and I know how to throw a baseball. That's, that's about it. But the fact of the matter is, is Asa has gotten involved. I've become more focused on what basketball looks like. Not just the game itself, but what plays they run. How to shoot proper form. I know more about how to swing a bat than I've ever known before. Why? Because I love and I care for Jude, and I want him to have every opportunity that God has for him. I've been able to instruct Asa in some of his shooting and drills and all these other things. I have no idea what I'm talking about, church, but 
because I love Asa and because I love Jude, I become more aware of those things that they love and I've become focused on them. Lo and behold, I have opportunity to speak into that. One other example that I know all of us can relate to is the new car phenomenon. Are you with me? You know that time or those moments where your friend gets a new car and it's not the first time you've ever seen that car on the planet, but all of a sudden it seems like they're everywhere. <laughs> Recently, my friend, our friend, Justin Schoonmaker, Justin Angie got a new car. And I'd seen these cars from time to time. Now I see them everywhere. I don't drive out of Seasons Trace without seeing five or six cars that are just like Justin's car. Why? Because all of a sudden went out, everybody bought them at the same time? No, because I'm now aware of it and I'm looking for it. I have a vested interest. Because my interests are vested in my sons, Asa and Jude, and my relationship with Justin, and I've worked to engage those set interests, now I see those things and dynamics differently and everywhere, from Justin's car all around town, or how to shoot a basketball, or how to swing a baseball bat. So it is with our most intimate guide, God's Holy Spirit. What I want to do today is I want to draw from the middle school and high school teacher that I am and give everybody a little bit of homework. I want you to go and read slowly John 14, John 15, and John 16. These are just incredible creative words of Jesus speaking to life without him in the flesh. He's speaking to God's Holy Spirit, our personal guide. I don't want you to just read the scriptures. I want you to allow the scriptures to read you. John 14, John 15, John 16. And finally, I want to challenge you this week to look for God in your life. Listen for God in your life. When you do that, when you lean into those moments and you're looking and you're listening for him, it's incredible how much you see him. It's, it's Romans 8, 28 in real time. God works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But again, that happens when we ourselves decide to look for him, to listen for him. And let me be honest with you today. I'm a really, really bad looker. You can ask Tanya. She'll tell me to look for something at the store. She'll tell me to look for something in the pantry. Or, hey, babe, can you grab the pickles out of the refrigerator? I will stand in front of the refrigerator for 10 minutes and never see a pickle jar or a single pickle or anything even remotely resembling a pickle. And Tanya comes over, opens the door, grabs the pickle jar that's right in front of my face, and then says, I got it. Thanks. <laughs> that goes over super well in my marriage. But neither here nor there. The fact of the matter is, maybe you're not used to looking for God's Holy Spirit. That's fine. Just start somewhere. This week, look for God's Holy Spirit. Listen for God's Holy Spirit. Let me leave you with this benediction, the same one I did last week. And I just want to sink this into everybody's souls and their spirits today. May we Look to, listen for, and align ourselves with God's ways and means. May we be fully led by God's ultimate guide in Holy Spirit as we fully give ourselves to Him. And may we remember that with Jesus, it only gets better.